Good morning. All right, I want to know how many of you are from Texas. Anybody? Wow. Half the state. You know, I just looked at the weather back in Texas. It's 100 degrees for like the next 24 days. So enjoy Colorado while you're here. This is the best time of year to be in Colorado. We're glad you're here. And we had any survivors from Tent City? Any survivors? Yeah. Well, you know, last night, did you get rained on? Any rain? Any lightning? Any of that? Because I prayed for you last night. I saw the big clouds forming, and so I was praying for you. Hey, this is the morning of Leland. This is a little-known fact. We just had Leland lead us in worship, and many of you don't know this, but my first name is Leland. My, named after my dad. I go by Brady. He's my middle name. And so, but my first name is Leland, and so I thought this was pretty cool that we have the morning of Leland. So you can call me Leland all morning, all right? All right, did you bring your Bibles this morning? Good. Okay, open them up right now to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, and we're going to talk about a very familiar story this morning, a really good story about a young man who made bad choices, but God did something great in his life, even despite bad choices. And in Luke chapter 15, I'm going to talk to you this morning about being orphans, slaves, or sons. Orphans, slaves, or sons. Now this morning we've been singing songs about being free and about living free lives. And I want you to know I'm a free man. I'm living a free life. But I've been in bondage before. I've talked about this openly in front of my church when I was in my early 20s. I struggled with an addiction to pornography. I found myself uh, uh, saturated in that world. And yet at the same time, I was a youth pastor at my church. And I, and I remember going through a season of time where I felt despair and heaviness. And, 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 and I knew that I was standing up in front of, of high school and junior high students telling them things about God that really weren't true in my own heart. And I remember the day that I really got set free was the day I discovered who I was. I discovered I was not an orphan. I discovered I was not a slave. I discovered it was revealed to me that I was a son. And it was on that day when I discovered who I was that I began this journey of really being set free, not only from pornography and those things, the ugly things that come with that, but being set free from a lot of anger and a lot of shame and a lot of guilt, those things that, that come with that. And this morning, I want, I want all of you not to come to desperation for an event or to have some type of experience. I want you to leave here after three days knowing who you are. And there are two questions that must be answered. I've never met a person who's living in freedom that cannot answer two questions. I want you to write these questions down, all right? There are two questions, all of you, all of us, myself included, there are two questions that we must have the answer to if we're going to live free lives. How many of you want to live free lives? Listen, how many, I just, I just confess something pretty personal and vulnerable to you. How many of you have ever been in, in a place of darkness, a place of bondage, a place that you felt such shame that you almost couldn't even look anyone else in the eye because you knew how corrupt and how dark, how impossibly uh, frail your own heart was? How many of you have ever been in that kind of place? And listen, that's a lot of hands up and you're, most of you are under the age of 25 and here you are, you're less than 25 years old, you haven't been on the planet very long and you still, most of us have experienced this, this depth of darkness and shame, this guilt and humility. This is how bad the world is, but listen, there is hope for us as followers of Christ this morning. And here are the two questions. If you can answer these two questions, you can start your path today to being really free. Here are the two questions. I've never met a free person who could not give me answers to these questions. Question number one, what's true about God? 
What is true about God? Is he mean? Is he upset? Is he mad at you? Is he difficult to please? Or is God good, forgiving, loving? Does God pursue you only when you pursue him? Or did God pursue you long before you pursued him? What's true about God? If you don't know the truth about God, you can never live a free life. If you don't know what's true about him, he, he knows everything. He sees everything. He is love. He, he doesn't love. He is love. He doesn't speak truth. He is truth. He's the essence of truth. You have to know what's true about God. And I'm telling you, most people, and I look in the eye, I'm talking about adults. I'm talking about people who have been Christians for 20 or 30 years. I'm talking about fellow pastors who lead large churches. I ask this question sometimes. Hey, what's true? What is absolutely true about God? What is non-negotiable to you about God? Most people can't answer the question. Most people don't know what's true about God. And if you don't know what's the truth about God is, you can never live a free life. And I remember in my 20s, 22, 23, 24 years old, when I was struggling with trying to be this person that God wanted me to be. I wanted to please God. I was trying to please God. I, I, I had taken these desperation vows. I'd been to these events. I'd stood there and cheered when people led worship. I was at the altar crying and praying, yet I did not know what was true about God. And if you don't know what's true about God, you can never worship him. You can't enter into worship. You can get hyped. You can get excited. You can lift your hands. You can jump up and down. But you can never worship him until you know what's true about him. And this should be your, this should be your pursuit. This should be the one question that you've got to get the answer to right now. And I'm going to help you get the answer to it this morning. I'm going to help show you some answers this morning. All right, here's the second question. Remember, no, I've never met a free person who couldn't answer these two questions. Here's the second question. What is true about me? Am I damaged goods? Is it too late for me? Pastor Brady, I've already lost my virginity. Pastor Brady, I'm already so sexually involved with my boyfriend and my girlfriend. I don't know if I can ever come back. Pastor Brady, I'm also addicted to porn. Pastor Brady, I'm seeing things and looking at things. Things are going on in my heart. Everything's out of control in my life right now. My parents are distant from me. My friends are not loyal to me. There's things going on in me. My life is a mess. What's true about you, though? What's really true about you? Are you an orphan? A slave? Or have you discovered that you're a son or a daughter? What's true about you? Does God, will God lead you in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake? Will God lead you to the valley of the shadow of death? Will God, is God's hand on you to punish you? Or is God's hand on you to discipline you? Because there's a big difference. So you have to know what's true about yourself. And I remember the, de- the night. I'd just been married, married maybe for less than two years. And we had that computer at our home and Pam was away at some event or has gone somewhere to work. And that, that there those images were that I pulled up those websites and I was looking at these images on the screen. And I remember God saying, this is a, the, the first step that I took toward being really free. Here's what the Lord said, Brady. I remember hearing it whisper, a loud whisper in my mind, Brady, Brady, that's not who you are. That's not the way I created you. That's not what I called you to do. I have something better for you. It's not who you are. And here's my question back to God. Who am I? 
You see, you've got to answer the question or you can't be free. You have to know what, what is true about God. What is it that's absolute truth about God? And what is it that's absolute truth about me? And here's why. It's very simple. Here's a simple answer. I'll answer question number two for you today. You're a son. You're a daughter. I have a 10-year-old, Abram, and an 8-year-old, Callie. Callie's going to come with me in the morning. Little redhead, blue eyes, curly red hair, killer. I mean, messes me up when you have little girls. My little boy, Abram, is they're both adopted, and he's a full-blood Italian. I mean, unbelievably good-looking dude. He's not biologically as mine. You can tell really quickly he's very smart, and he's really handsome. I mean, killer handsome. Green eyes, olive skin, dark hair. And he hasn't discovered the world of girl yet, and I'm really grateful. But the world of girl has discovered Abram. In fact, you know, he had his yearbook signing. You know, he's, he, he left, he's in the fourth grade going into the fifth grade. And it's about that time, I think girls get a head start on that thing. You know, girls notice boys before boys notice girls in the fourth grade. So I opened up his little yearbook, you know, looking at the pictures. And I wanted to see, you know, everything that, you know, his classmates had signed his yearbook. And there was about six girls who had left their phone number in the book <laughs> saying, Abram, call me this summer. I said, Abram, are you going to call him? He goes, no. Kidding me? Why? I said, that's all I needed to know. I want him to give you the answer. <laughs> the world of girl. Listen, I'm telling you that because I enjoy being a dad. I think I'm pretty good at it. Let me tell you why. Because I learned a long time ago how to be a son. Let me say something to youth leaders that are here today. So I'm, this is not for the students. This is for the leaders that are sitting here today. Let me tell you what your youth need right now. They don't need cool speeches, cool talks, necessarily. They need dads. They need moms. This is what they need. This is what the church needs. I, I, I'm not the best speaker and I'm not the, be, the greatest theologian, but I'm a pretty good dad. And the church needs dads. The church needs moms. But we'll never be moms and dads unless we first learn to be sons and daughters. See, this is where you learn to be a dad. This is where you learn to be a mom. You learn it at the feet of your mom, at the feet of your dad. I'm teaching Abram and Callie that they can enjoy the benefits of being my son, my daughter. And they like it. They like that they're my son and my daughter. And I'm teaching them that in dad's house, there are many blessings. Under dad's covering, there is protection and strength. There's something to be enjoyed at the feet of dad. I want them to know you can be a son in this house. You can be a daughter in my house. So that one day when Abram and Callie, when Abram does discover the world of girl, and when he finds this girl that God's made for him, when he becomes a husband, and then one day when he becomes a dad, he can look into the eyes of his kids and say, listen, a long time ago, sitting at the feet of my father, I learned to be a son. Now I'm learning to be a dad. And see, the reason that the church is so empty of dads and so empty of moms is because we've never learned to be sons and daughters and enjoy sitting, sitting at the feet of God and saying, Oh God, thank you for being dad. And this is what I want to show you this morning in Luke chapter 15. Are you there? Luke chapter 15, this is the story of the prodigal son, my favorite story in all the Bible. Luke 15 verse 17 
when he came to his senses. <laughs> now listen, there, there's a lot of prayers going out for some of you right now. And this is the prayer your parents are praying. Oh God, when their hormones settle down, when they get to college, when they finally leave the house at 30, I pray one day they would come to their senses. This is the prayer of the father. And so this guy, you know the story, the prodigal son has gone to his dad and said, Dad, hey, I know you're not dead yet, but could you give me my inheritance? Look, and this is the most shameful story. Don't go ask your parents for the... Listen, I'm going to spend all of Abram and Callie's inheritance. And hopefully on my deathbed, I'm going to spend the last dollar. I'll leave them a little. But don't go ask your parents for your inheritance right now. And this is what this young man did. He said, Dad, hey, I know you're not dead. In fact, you're fairly young. But I'm really needing some money. Would you give me everything that is mine? And the dad's heart was broken, but because he was a good dad, he said, son, you're going to leave, aren't you? No matter what I do, if I give you the money or not, you're going to leave me, aren't you? He goes, yeah, dad, I'm leaving. I'm out of here. Well, son, here's your inheritance. I want you to be blessed. So the dad gave the young man his inheritance. And it was a large sum of money. This dad was a wealthy man. This dad had people who worked for him. And in this day and time, this guy was wealthy. So he had a lot of money to give. So this young man takes it, in, and the Bible says that he went and just wasted it on wild living, drinking, lots of stuff going on, lots of parties. And everybody was his friend when he had money. But then one day, a famine came into the land, and he ran out of money. And guess what happened? He ran out of friends. And he found himself working in a pig farm. Now, for a Jewish boy to work in a pig farm was kind of the worst possible place. It's like growing up in Louisiana. That's where I'm from. It's kind of a worst place to grow up. I'm joking. All right, so here's the story in verse 17. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men, employees, have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, he's rehearsing a speech. How many of you ever wrecked a car or done something to something at home and rehearsed a speech to tell your parents? You ever done this? I mean, you like out loud, rehearse it. Dad, I, uh, that deer ran out of nowhere. Or, Dad, I didn't see the telephone pole. Or, Dad, I thought iPods could swim. I didn't know. I'll go back to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now notice that the, the tension, the, the debate that's happening inside this young man is not about his sin necessarily. It's about what was true about him. He had already decided that he had done too much to be called a son. He had done too many bad things to be called a son. He's already made up his mind that when he goes back to father, father's never going to treat him like a son again because he's done too many bad things. Notice that this is the real debate going on in this story. He said, I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off. Now see, some of you are a long way off. Some of you came to this conference and you don't know why you're here, really. You're just kind of here. You're enjoying it. It's fun. But you're a long way off. But right now, while you're still a long way off, I want you to notice what God's doing. God is in your business right now. God's eyes are on you now. While you're still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with aggravation. 
disappointment. Is that what he says? You read your Bible with me? He was filled with compassion. So immediately, when the dad's eyes saw the son coming from a long way off, he didn't have binoculars, but so he's looking, he's going, who is that? And somebody younger, you know, one of the, said, I think that's your youngest son. And then he looked at him, and sure enough, it's the youngest son. And immediately his heart was filled with compassion. See, some of you are wondering, what's it going to be like to stand in front of a holy God when inside's all messed up, when things are corrupt? What will it be like the morning after you've had your major worst mistake? And you open your Bible and you try to have some guilt-led quiet time. You ever had that? You ever had quiet time out of guilt? Out of duty? Trying to maybe do enough good things to even up the scoreboard a little because bad Brady scoreboard has been lightening up and good Brady scoreboard hadn't lit up in a while so I need to open the Bible. I'm going to read an extra chapter today and I'm going to, I'm really going to be good today because I'm trying to get God to like me again. He said, verse 21, the son said to him, Father, well, let's go back to verse 20. So he got up, went to his father. He, filled, he said he was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. Who was running to whom? Did the son run to the dad? I'm asking you a question. This is a participatory sport here, okay? Participate. You'll all get a yellow ribbon at the end. Participation. I got all those. When I was in elementary school, I never got blue ribbons or red ribbons. I always got the yellow particip- participation ribbon. You ever had one of those? Now everybody gets a trophy. When I grew up, not everyone got the trophy. I didn't get one of the blues. I had all those yellow ones. So you're all going to yellow if you'll answer the question. Who ran to whom? Did the son run to the dad? Did the dad run to the son? It's important that you see that. The son was expecting anger. The son was expecting punishment. Instead, to his surprise... The dad's running toward him. And he didn't have a knife in his hand. I I guarantee you he thought. He's running with a club in his hand. He's running to beat me up. No, he didn't do that. He ran to his son. Look what he did. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. He was a grown boy. He was a grown man. My dad used to do that to me. My dad, even at, he was 63 years old when he passed away. He was very young when he passed away. And I was 39 when he passed away. But even then... When I saw my dad, my dad would give me a big wet one right there on the cheek, right there. Pow! He loved to kiss. He, my dad was a, a hugger and an embracer. He's a man's man, but he, he liked to just kiss. He liked to, especially if he hadn't seen me in a while, I could always tell when I came up on the porch, my dad was going to say, Hey, Brady, so good to see you. Now, when I started having grandkids, he totally ignored me for about an hour. He always grabbed the grandkids first, and it kind of bothered me. And, and it'd be about an hour later, he'd say, Hey, oh, hey, Brady, you're here too, aren't you? Yeah, I'm here too, Dad. Thanks. So what happens. But then, but then he'd grab me and kiss me. After he'd kissed the grandkids for an hour. This is, this is why for me. It's not hard for me to see myself as son. Because I had a dad that taught me the joys and the benefits of son. I like being a son. I enjoyed it. Go to dad's house. Live in dad's place. Son. All right, listen to what he said. The son said, and father of sin against heaven and against you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And let's see, in this room right now, I can guarantee if I, if I took a poll and we had the technology 
to, for you to text this, and maybe we'll do this at some point. How many of you really think that you're worthy to be a son today? How many of you really think that you're worthy to be called a daughter today? Are you worthy because of your good behavior? Are you worthy because you've been good this week? Are you worthy because you followed all the rules? Or are you worthy to be called a son or a daughter because of something that Jesus did for you at the cross that can never be changed? See, I hope you discover one day grace. Grace. Jesus did something first at the cross that can't be blotted out. It can't be changed. It can't be altered in any form. Listen to what he said. But the father said to his servants, it's almost like the dad was ignoring him. Never answered. He never made a response to him. The son goes, dad, I blew it. I asked for my inheritance. I went out. I wasted it all. Can I just be a slave? Can I just work for you? Can I just be an employee? The dad said, son, he didn't even make a response to him. Instead, he said, he said he turned to his servants, the men who did work for him. And he said, listen, quick, right now, go bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and we're going to have a barbecue. Kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine. Boy, it's important to see that. Dad should have been mad. He should have been upset. He said, no, he's no slave. He's no orphan. This is my son. This son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they begin to celebrate as only they could do. Now notice that the biggest threat to this young man's freedom from this point on, after he had made the worst mistake of his life, was not necessarily... The consequences of the sin, which there were consequences. He, he never got his inheritance back. He was going to have to live on his own. He wouldn't enjoy the inheritance of his father. I mean, he, he was going to be, have to rebuild his own wealth. There were consequences to his behavior. But his sonship never changed. Are you getting this this morning? Are you all with me this morning? This is big. And some of you are wondering, can I ever live a free life? Can I ever live free like Pastor David? Can I ever live free like Pastor Brent? Can I ever be that? Or or is the bar set so high? All right, so here's, when all of you walked in this morning, I was watching you out there. I was just kind of getting a feel for who you are and watching your faces, listening to some of your conversations and watching you worship. Not all your conversations. I was listening to a couple. And I was wondering, I said, I felt this really strongly. I'm really burdened for you this morning. I'm not here just to give a talk. Really, honestly, I'm talked out this week. We had our own pastor's conference, and I'm speaking twice on Sunday. I'm talked out. I didn't need another talk to give. But I'm burdened for you this morning because I watched you as you walked in. I wondered how many of them really know that they're sons and daughters. Because most of you are living under one of three identities. I'm going to show them to you today, okay? Many of you walked in this morning thinking you're an orphan. Let me tell you what an orphan is. An orphan is someone who is parentless. An orphan is someone who doesn't have a mom and a dad. An orphan is someone whose mom and dad either has disqualified themselves from being their parents or they've died. Either way, they don't have mom and they don't have dad. They don't don't feel like they ever belong. They look around and they see other kids that have mom and dads 
but they are in a foster home or maybe they're homeless. We found an 11-year-old girl living in our city not long ago who, whose parents either had passed away or died. I haven't heard of the whole story, but I, knew, I know this part of the story. She would go to this elementary school. She was in the fifth grade this past year. And she would go to school every day, really good student, show up on time. She'd be there on time. And she'd even get there early because they, they served breakfast at the school. So she'd come early, eat breakfast, go to school, eat lunch there that day, and stay. And she would always linger a little bit after school. And then she'd go down to the Salvation Army and stay there until they shut the place up at night. And there she would try to eat one more time if there was food there at the Salvation Army, which most of the time there was. And then the, the people would watch her and she would walk away not knowing that she didn't have a home to go to. Instead, several people kind of took her in and she would sleep here, sleep there. And on a warm night, she might sleep outside until finally someone asked this little girl in our city here, Who's your mom? Who's your dad? I don't have a mom. I don't have a dad. I don't know where they are. So the state took her in. This this is real orphans. Orphans are people that wonder, do they really even belong? Some of you are sitting here this morning and say, hey, I like church. Church sounds good, but I don't belong here. And you don't ever feel like you measure up. You feel like, am I ever going to measure up? This all seems weird to me. He's talking about dads. I've never had a dad. My dad is gone. My dad doesn't look me in the eye. I've never been kissed by my dad. My dad's never hugged me. I don't get this. I don't belong here. I have a mom wound. I have a dad wound. They're gone. I don't know where I belong. Some of you are feeling that this morning. You don't know if you belong here or not. And this this was the, the tension going on in this young man. As he was walking back to dad, he was wondering, will dad receive me in? Will dad just, will dad just hire me out? Will dad ignore me? Am I going to be an orphan? Some, listen, you cannot live a free life. You can't live with the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't do the big thing that God called you to do if you think you're an orphan. An orphan is someone who feels like I don't belong. And here's what orphans do most of the time. Most of the time, people who think they're an orphan... They, they hurt people before they get hurt. And they've never been fathered, so they certainly can't ever be a son or a daughter. They have no idea what that means. And so they, they usually wander through life. Here's what dads do. Let me tell you what a good dad does. A good dad sees things in his kids that God put in them and pulls them out of their kids and affirms it. I don't have to tell my kids what to be. I'm trying to help my kids be what God made them to be. So I'm looking at Abram. Abram's never going to play Major League Baseball. He's never going to play in the NBA. But he's brilliant engineering mind that's coming out of him. His birth father was a nuclear physicist. And he's got the same engineering mind. He sees things like I've never seen a 10-year-old see. He's brilliant when he, when he sits down with math. And he, when he pulls out the big old box of Legos, he creates things that I could never imagine. That's who he is. I'm calling it out of him. Come on, Abram. Come on, Abram. Come on, Abram. That's what God made you to be. See, this is what dads do. This is what dads never give up on their sons. Orphans have never had that. So most of the time, orphans wander through life wondering, who am I? What am I going to be? Orphans hardly ever keep a job very long. Orphans hardly ever commit to anything for a long period of time. Orphans are are hard. They're very difficult for an orphan to say yes to anything and commit to it because they don't know who they are. They don't feel like they belong anywhere. So they, they, they stay disconnected. Orphans are people who are just wandering through life. Most of the time they end up in their 30s and their 40s and they've been through broken marriages. They've had 12 jobs. They, don't, they, they wander from church to church. They just don't belong anywhere. 
That's what orphans, what happens when you're an orphan. It's a tragedy of our culture that anyone is an orphan. When the local church should be pulling orphans into our midst and saying, this is who God created you to be. That's why you need to go sponsor a compassion child. Not to get rid of your guilt. Help some kid get to the next place. Go be a dad or a mom to a compassion child. Help them get some traction in their life. Pam and I sponsored two kids. We have a little boy from El Salvador that was born on the same day and year of Abram. We have another girl in El Salvador that was born on the same day and year of Callie. And Abram and Callie write them letters. But our job is not just to send them money to help them feed them. We're trying to help little Beatrice and little Kevin in El Salvador get some traction in their life. I want them to know there's a man in America that believes in them. And we're going to go see them at some point. I'm going to pray for those little kids and say, listen, this is how God made you. Come on, come on, come on. That's what we do. That's what fathers do. And orphans need a dad. Orphans need somebody to look deep into their heart and to see something that they see in themselves, but they're afraid to believe the good thing they see in themselves. So dads say, hey, I see it. I see it too. I also see it. I believe it. That's what dads do. And orphans need it. Some of you walked in this morning skeptical, cynical of real relationships. Ah, Pastor Brady talks about these great relationships between dads and sons. Ah, it never happens. He's the exception, not the rule. And you're right. I am the exception. That's a sad thing. Fathering should be the exception. Orphans should be rare. Instead, orphans are numerous and fathers are rare. And then some of you walked in this morning thinking, well, I'm no orphan. I'm a slave. Most people that come to church are slaves. Most people are. Let me tell you what a slave is. A slave knows that they have something to do. They, they see the gifting inside of them. They know that they're called and gifted to do something, but that's their whole identity. Their, all of their identity is what they do. I can do this. I can perform. I can do this good. And if I perform well, somebody's going to recognize me. Somebody's going to notice me. And so if I do the good thing, if I follow all the rules, if I, if I can keep the attention of dad, everything's good. But if dad ever looks away, if dad ever turns his head away from me, that means I have to, he's not pleased with me. So I've got to perform, 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 perform. Listen, God's not impressed with what we're doing. He's very impressed with who, who we are becoming. We need to do things. No question about it. The Bible says to go to pursue the lost. The Bible says to go take care of widows. There are things we must do. No question about it. It's just not my identity. I don't get any identity out of being a pastor. You know that? I really don't. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't feel that's not who I am. I, I, that's what I do. I am a pastor. I do lead the church. I do get to be around a great team of people. I get to do all those things. And I enjoy doing all those things. But that's not who I am. I'm a son. I'm no slave. If that's what I am, if, it's, if who I am is, is what I do, then I'm just a slave. I'm a slave to the ministry. I'm a slave to the church. I'm no slave. And most of us say, listen, if you can just do the good things, if I go to desperation six years in a row and get all the other t-shirts, if I can just, if I can just do something, then God is pleased with me. Listen, God does want us to do things, but he's not impressed with our goodness. He really likes for us to be good. I'm all for good behavior. I believe good behavior is better than bad behavior. But it's not who you are. Slaves are convinced that if dad ever takes his eyes off them, they're doomed. 
See, slaves believe that they can be replaced or demoted at any time. Slaves believe that once they are done doing what they do, that they're finished. That's why when slaves get around people who are really talented, they become insecure and jealous of other talented people because they believe if other talented people ever get the attention of dad, their assignment, their role is going to be diminished. They could even be kicked out of the family. Most senior pastors that I meet create a slave mentality in their church. Most senior pastors tell their staff, do more, work harder, work more hours. They just, all he has is a group of slaves working for him. I don't want any slaves on my team. I want sons on my team. What we do is important. We should show up for work. We should do things for God. But it's not who we are. We are sons. We are daughters. See, sons and daughters, let me tell you about the third group. And I think there's some of you that have caught this already. I can see it. I can, in fact, I can spot a son. I can spot a daughter, really. I can have a three-minute conversation with you. I can tell you which three groups you're in. Orphans, they don't know where they're going, where they're headed. They're wandering through life. I don't know. Don't care, don't belong. I, I can ask you two or three questions. I can find out if you're an orphan, slave, or a son this morning. Come and you stand by me. I'll ask you three or four questions, and I'll give you a quick diagnosis, and it's probably accurate. And see, slaves, when I'm around slaves, they want to tell me all the stuff they're doing. I did this. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. I'm going there. I'm doing this. And that's all they talk about is what they're doing. I'm doing this. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Aren't I good? Aren't I good? I'm good. I'm good. Like my little dog. I have a little lap dog, a little Bichon poodle mix. Just a, nothing but a lap dog, dumber than a stump. And you know what lap dogs are bred to do? They were bred hundreds of years ago to lay in your lap and be petted. That's all that, that's their only function in life. It's his only, this little dog, his, all, all of his identity is wrapped around the idea of someone petting him on the head. He, he doesn't, he doesn't chase animals. He doesn't hunt. He doesn't, he doesn't do anything. He lays in your lap. He's got a little soft fur and he lays in your lap. That's a slave. He's a slave dog. I'm a good dog. I'm a good dog. I'm a good dog. That's all he does. My cat, my cat's a daughter. She doesn't need any attention. She doesn't care if you look at her or not. She's in charge. See, this is the difference between dogs and cats. Dogs normally are slaves. Cats are normally sons and daughters. They get it. They don't need your attention. I'm, I'll, I'll track her down. Sometimes I'll sneak up on her and catch her and pet her. And, and she acts like she doesn't want me to catch her, but she's grateful that I did. She's got that smug look on her face. A little, she's a little a Persian, a little flat-faced Persian, you know? She's got that smug look on her face like, okay, get it over with. Pet me, put me down. See, that's the difference between slaves and sons. Slaves are lap dogs. So I can ask you, I get around people all the time who are just slaves. They're doing a lot of great things for God, but they have not walking in the freedom I'm talking about. I'm talking about waking up every morning, loving God, man, being a son, enjoying the privileges of living in dad's house. That's what sons and daughters get to do. See, when I'm around sons and daughters, I can ask them the same three questions. You know what they talk about? Man, they talk about what's going on in their heart with God and 
the joy that they find from serving God and just loving God for who he is. And those conversations are so much fun to have because they, you are obviously, honestly, you have to pull out of them. Well, what do you do? Well, I mean, I've got, you know, I'm a senior pastor at New Life and I, you know, I get to do some talks on the weekend and I, but, but let me tell you about what I'm discovering about God and people. And just let me tell you about the joy of just hanging out with the tribe of New Lifers. Let me tell you, let me tell you about who I'm becoming. I don't want to bore you with what I do. I don't want to bore you with a book I'm writing or some stuff I'm doing. If you want to know that, I'll tell you, but it's not who I am. Wouldn't you like to live like that? I'm, I'm just discovering this. I'm telling you about 10 years into this now. I grew up a slave. I grew up in a denomination that focused so much on outside behavior and hardly ever talked about the heart. Don't go to bowling alleys. Don't dance. Anything with a one-two beats from hell. If you even look at somebody who's smoking, you're probably going to lose your salvation. All about behavior. Nothing about the heart. I grew up a slave. A slave to performance. A slave to doing stuff. See, I would come to things like this just to get rid of guilt. Just so somebody would think I'm spiritual. So that people would think, well, he may have it all together. I didn't have it all together. I was a slave. Let me tell you about the third group, this group of sons that I'm talking about. Sons are free to love dad and enjoy the land that the father owns. See, sons know I have an assignment. I do have an assignment. I'm, I'm completely aware that I must do things. And I'm completely aware that my behavior matters. I can't have bad behavior and still be the senior pastor of New Life Church. I can't, I can't do corrupt things and still be the leader. I know I have an assignment. I know I need to be good. I know that. I know I need to make right choices. But it's not who I am. Who I am, I'm a son. And what motivates me to do the right thing is not whether or not dad's going to be happy or, or glad with me. What motivates me to do the right thing is I want to please the father because he's been a good dad to me and I want to be a good son. I'm not worried about dad disowning me. I'm not worried about dad shunning me. I'm not worried about getting kicked out of dad's family. What I want to be is a good son because the more I discover about God's grace and how much he loves me, the less I want to sin. You understand that? No, I don't want it. When my dad was alive, I never wanted to disappoint dad, not because I thought dad was going to be mad at me or angry with me or kick me out of the home. I just didn't want to disappoint him because I knew how proud he was of me. I know how much he loved me. My dad ended every phone call. Son, I sure love you. Son, I sure am proud of you. I didn't want to disappoint that. It was, it was, I, the, the reason I didn't want to sin was not because I thought dad would get mad. I didn't want to sin because I didn't want to, he loved me. Why would you want to disappoint someone who really loves you? You understand that when you catch grace, you'll sin less. This is the whole message of Jesus to the Pharisees. You spend so much time on the outside of the bowl while the inside of the bowl is filth. Full of self-indulgence and greed is what Jesus said to the Pharisees. First clean the inside of the bowl. Discover how much God loves you. And once you discover the depths of God's love for you, once you realize how much he loves you, how much, how good a dad he is, you will want to sin less. You won't want to sin. I don't want to look at porn anymore. I don't want that. That's not who I am. I don't want to disappoint dad. 
Dad loves Brady. Dad loves me. Crazy about me. Can't get enough of me. Pursues me when I'm not pursuing him. Filled me with the Holy Spirit. Gave me more than I deserve. Why would I want to disappoint him? That's what sons and daughters, that's the life you get to live if you want to be a son or a daughter. Listen to, I want you to listen to this one more time, okay? Luke 15, verse 20. So he got up and he went to the Father. Now in just a moment, in about three minutes, I'm going to give you a chance to get up, come to the Father. If you're sitting here this morning and you know, you know right now, I can tell you, you know if you're an orphan or a slave. And you know if you're a son or a daughter. In just a moment, God's about to give you the invitation that can really, literally, literally change your life. He's about to give you an invitation that if you'll say yes to it, the sin that is so easily entangling you right now, the corruption that you can't get free from in your heart, the thing that just keeps surfacing and surfacing and surfacing and you can't get control of it, today, if you know... If you can answer question number two, what is true about me? The truth about you is this. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've accepted him as your Savior and your Lord, you are a son and a daughter, and that can never be changed. Ever. And ever. You've been sentenced to heaven, and you can't get out of it. Man, that's two people caught that. That's that's good news. That's really good news. So here's the question, and listen to what he does. While he's still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. God is a perfect parent. And I realize that. As good as I am at being a parent, I'm no, I, I, I missed the mark. I'm, not a, I'm a good dad. I didn't say I was a great dad. I'm really good, though, but not really great. But I serve a really great father in heaven. Can I give you some good news this morning? Some of you are sitting here wrestling with your parents. You think that your parents want to control you. Let me just tell you, your parents don't want to control you. Your parents want to protect you. Your parents actually want you to leave the house. But they want you to leave as free people. So the restrictions they're putting on you right now is not to control you. They want you to survive after you leave the house. God didn't come, didn't send Jesus to the earth to die on the cross to control our behavior. Jesus came to the cross and died... So he could release us as free people. Go live free lives. Go now. Be sons. Be daughters. Live free lives. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come to control your behavior. Is that what it says? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come. Jesus says, I've come here to give you life and life to the fullest. Does that sound like somebody that wants to control you? Or does that sound like somebody that wants to release you? 
Come on, I'm asking you a question. Does that sound like somebody who wants to control you, dominate you, or does that sound like somebody who wants to release you? Go! Go be sons and daughters. Go live free lives. Go change the world. Go light it up. That's the message this morning. That's it right there. Finally got to it. I could have done that in five minutes, but I couldn't get there that quickly. Okay, orphans, slaves. Orphans and slaves, please listen Listen to me. That's not who you are. Orphans, slaves, listen to someone who is a dad. I'm, if you don't have a dad, I'm going to take the place of a man who you want to be your dad today. And I'm going to tell you something. You are no orphan in God's family. You are no orphan. Look at me, please. You're not an orphan. You belong here. You have a place at the table here. There's room for you here. We want you here in this family. Listen to me, orphans. You're not without parents. Listen to me, slaves. All you slaves, look at me in the eye. What you're doing is less important than who you're becoming. It's from the inside out that God wants to change you today. God is not asking you to do more necessarily. Some of you need to get off the sidelines and get in the game. That's for sure. And that'll be another talk we'll probably get at this conference. But I'm focusing on something else this morning. Slaves, look at me. Please look at me, slaves. Let God do something from the inside out. Slaves, you're not going to be thrown out of the family if you stop doing enough good things. Dad will always run to you. Dad will always kiss you. Dad will always pursue you. Dad is not mad at you. Because that son thought, eh, dad's going to be mad. Dad's going to kick me out. And none of those things happened. This is why this is my favorite story in all the Bible. It's because when I discovered I was a son that I could always come home, I stopped sinning. Less and less. I sin. I still sin. But less and less. Not as much anymore. You know why? Because I know I can always come home. <laughs> and when you know you can always come home, you don't want to sin. What's the point? Why disappoint that? I can always come home. Hey, sons and daughters, look at me now. If you're a son and you're a daughter, you know it. I'm really proud of you. Because you have taken some big steps today to live in a free life. Can I pray for you this morning? Would you close your eyes around the room right now? I want you to ask yourself, seriously ask yourself. This is a big, big question. Huge question. It may be the biggest question you're going to get asked in the next 10 years. I can't imagine a more, the only question that's bigger than this is if you, have you ever accepted Christ? Have you ever really said yes to Jesus? That's the bigger question. The second biggest question though is this. Are you a son and a daughter? Are you just an orphan wandering through life? Are you a slave trying to please dad? Are you a son and a daughter that's discovered the real freedom of being in dad's house? Ask yourself the question right now. You need to, some of you need to ask that first question. Am I really a follower of Jesus? Have I said yes to Jesus? Is he the Lord of my life? You need to answer that today. 
Because you'll never, you can't be a son and a daughter unless you said yes to that first question. But the second question is very important. Am I an orphan? Am I a slave? Or am I really a son and a daughter? Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you and confess. Lord, that many of us have just wandered through life looking for purpose, a place to belong. Lord, many of us have worked so hard thinking that through our hard work, our effort, that we're somehow pleasing you. And Lord, we've never really enjoyed the benefit of being sons and daughters. Lord, this morning I pray for every single person who is in this room, for every single person who will listen to the podcast, for every single person who will listen to this on some CD one day. Father, I pray for every ear that's hearing this, that they would say yes to Jesus and yes to being a son and a daughter. Lord, if we could answer those two questions, life changes dramatically. Life changes miraculously. So we say yes today, Lord.